0: You can turn your bibles to colossians chapter 4. colossians chapter 4. i'm going to read verses 7 to 18. colossians chapter 4 verses 7 to 18. god's word says all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the lord whom i have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son, to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphis, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. So we're examining kind of the closing remarks of the book of Colossians. And you might be wondering why I, I kind of devoted entire lesson or message to to what many prefer refer. Like in, in my Bible, it says greetings from believers. As for the, that section, some I might say closing remarks and just kind of the winding down of the letter. So why am I, you know, focusing on that for our lesson this morning? Well, I was reading this passage and I started recognizing many names Paul mentioned. I'm sure y'all did too. You, you see those names, and I've seen that name before. I recognize that name, you know. What was that about, that name? So I just started recognizing these names. I thought, well, this is interesting, so let's kind of study this and kind of get the background of these names and and dig into this a little bit. So Paul mentioned these names in his closing remarks. And Paul's ministry, you know, i got to think, it was not just Paul. He had all these people behind him, praying for him, working with him, traveling with him. So it wasn't just Paul doing it by himself or going alone, but there are many people involved in his ministry every step of the way. So Paul, he got, he got most of the headlines, he got the billing, Paul's coming to town, it's Paul, but he had these people with him, these people supporting him, these people praying for him, these people giving to him. So Paul could draw the crowds, he had the amazing, he had this, uh, the, the, this amazing, uh, you know, he would draw the crowds, he had this ministry, but he also had these amazing people supporting him. This faithful team supporting him, behind him, lifting him up, working for him, doing things for him. We had a, a, a special team, if you will, of people behind him, lifting him up and helping him, praying for him and doing their part to help him and to get Christ, the word of Christ out and the gospel out to the world. So with it being, I'm watching the, the, the NFL draft closely. i uh, hoping my Chicago Bears would actually get someone good this time. And, 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 and it seems like they did. I'm kind of optimistic. So as I was watching the draft thinking about, please pick this person, don't get this person, and then I'm thinking, I'm, then I got to think about this message, and reading these names, I'm thinking, special team, you know, I just had football in my mind, so I'm thinking, this is God's special team, so that's the title of our lesson this morning, our message is God's special team, so with football season, I draw that, you know, a football draft and all that, you know, they have the special teams on the football team. Now, you don't really hear a lot about the special teams if they're doing their job they are hardly even mentioned, they're just doing their job. But if they mess up something, then you hear a lot about special teams. A lot about it. So my the title was it's the the special team or God's special team. But Paul he got kind of the, the headlines or we hear or we talk about Paul all the time, but he had so many people behind him supporting him, praying for him, lifting him up, doing things for him. And so we were all in a way on a team or a special team, helping get the word of God out, helping get the gospel out, helping, we lift each other up. We're on each other's special team. We lift each other up. We work for each other. We pray for each other. We help each other. We, we, we work together to get the gospel out to help, and help the world. So that was kind of the title or the, the thinking of this. And something else I was thinking about was verse 17, which says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. So as a special team, are we taking heed to fulfill it? Our responsibilities, our ministry, are we making sure we're doing our part to not let the body of Christ down to not let our team down? Are we taking, are we taking heed to fulfill it, to fulfill our ministry? So Paul was not only a soul winner, but he's also a great friend maker. If my account is correct. There are more than 100 different Christians named and unnamed associated with Paul in the book of Acts and his epistles. Over 100 that he named or referenced in his book of Acts. But I don't think I could name 100 you know, friends just like that. You know. But Paul, he had these people that he could name, pray for him, He lifted them up. He brought them up associated with Paul. In the book of Romans chapter 16 alone, he named 26 different friends. You mean specifically in the book of Romans, chapter 16. Now, it was customary in Paul's day to close the letters out with a personal greeting. Uh, friends didn't see each other that much, so they wanted to have a, a personal greeting when they could take the opportunity to do so. So, of course, Paul's greetings were much more than social. They conveyed his genuine spiritual concern for his friends. When we first read this list of names, we're probably not greatly moved. It's just a list of names. But when we get behind the scenes, we can discover some of the drama of these men's lives. Uh, we're not gonna—I'm not gonna get into Romans 16 today. But Romans 16 is another one to really look up those names and find them. It's so many great backstories in Romans 16 as well. But this is another one that's just there's so much drama, so much, so much story behind these names. And then so this list becomes. We start thinking about it, dwelling about it, cross-referencing those names it kind of becomes very exciting. These, these are these people he's talking about right here in this passage. So for our message, I've kind of categorized these men that were listed here in three different groups. I have uh, the first group is the messengers. Second group are the comforters. And the third one is the prayer. The, the one that prayed. one that was just fervently praying. So the first one we're going to talk about are the men who are messengers. So if you can read verses 7 to 9 with me again. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Verse 7, Tychicus is going to declare unto you, and it says, verse 9, they shall make known unto you. They were the messengers. They were providing the information, declaring the information. So Tychicus described, is described here as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. It was by him that this epistle to the Colossians was sent. Now faithfulness, faithfulness is anyone who truly, is, is, faithfulness is uh, truly, is just a lovely word. It, is, it just, it's just a great word to be described as the person. They are faithfulness, they're faithful, they're worthy of our esteem. Those that are faithful are worthy of our affection. And then he's also called a fellow servant. He says they have one Lord, though they have different capacities, different positions. We all have one Lord, though we serve the Lord differently. The Lord's blessed us with different gifts and different opportunities. And we all do things a little differently, but we're all serving the Lord. We're all working for Him. So they have one Lord, though they have different capacities, different positions, different opportunities of service. This only adds to the strength. It adds to the beauty of the gospel, adds to the magnificence of the body of Christ, how he's organized, how he's how he's just set things in, in motion, how he conducts things, how he makes things work. We all have our part, and we're all important to the gospel and to the body of Christ. So they are a part of God's special team. They were the messengers. We read of Tychicus in Acts twenty verse four, as one of those who accompanied Paul. And we read of him again in Ephesians chapter six where he performed the same duties as outlined here in Colossians 4. And also in Titus 3 and 2 Timothy 4, we hear of him again, and he continues to serve Paul and be a messenger. And he re- might have been one of the brethren referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as well, who were called the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So Tychicus is a faithful servant, a faithful servant of Paul, helping get the gospel, helping deliver the message. So the details of which the Scripture mentions concerning him are few in number. There's not a lot. But they afford evidences of the great confidence which the Apostle Paul had in him, which Apostle Paul placed in him. Apostle Paul had great confidence in his abilities, in his faithfulness, in his zeal for the cause of Christ. Do we have those evidences in our life? Do people have that great confidence in us as well, that we're faithful, we have, we're built, we have the zeal, we're working hard for Christ. Could, could the Apostle Paul have that faithfulness in me? Okay, Keith, I trust you. You're going to get this done. Here's a letter. Take it to the Colossians. You're going to get this done. I have faith in you. Would he talk of me the same way in a letter? I mean, just questions I ask myself. Could I be even remotely compared to him? You know, it's just things that just, these questions run through my mind when I'm studying and looking at God's word. I always try to kind of put myself in that picture or that self in that place or imagine what's going on in my mind and like how would that how would that how would I interact in that situation what would I do would that would Paul be able to say the same thing about me so it was not easy for Tychicus to be associated with Paul though Paul the prisoner Paul had many enemies nor was it easy for Tychicus to travel as he did traveling back then was very dangerous he assisted Paul in various tasks Tychicus, we could say, did not take the easy way, but rather he took the right way. He didn't take the easy path. He took the right path. A lot of times we're tempted to take that easy path when we know the right path is the one that looks a little bit harder, a little bit riskier, but that's the right path. But we want to just kind of stay in our, that comfort zone. It's nice and comfortable here. It's easy. It's comfortable. But the Lord's saying, No. This is the path you're supposed to be taking. So we we always take that right path, or maybe sometimes we're tempted to take that easy path. Well, Tychicus took the right path, no matter how difficult it was. Our next one is Onesimus, also a messenger. Verse 9. Though he was a poor servant and had been bad, he had made mistakes in his past, but then he was converted by the power of Christ and the gospel message. And Paul now calls him a faithful and beloved brother, this teaches us that the lowest of circumstances of life and the greatest of wickedness of a former life make no difference in the spiritual relation or service among sincere Christians. I always think of Jonah three one, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. I love that God gives us that second chance, and then the next second chance, then the next second chance to, to just keep getting right with Him, and keep serving Him. and He always wants to use us, always wants to give us that chance, always loves us. And that, it's just, you feel so unworthy just dwelling on that. You're like, hey, I'm sorry again, Lord. Please forgive me again. You know, And then the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, or let's, let's just go. I want to use you. You know, I love you. Let's get going. So I just love that. I, always, I love how the Lord will use people or use men that sometimes the world would say, they're not usable, or maybe even Christian would say they're not usable, but that's who the Lord chooses to use. I, I, I love that. You can see that just in Christian biographies over and over again, in, not only in the Bible, but just throughout the years. You can see God seems like the people around them, the church people around that person, like they would never pick that person. That's who God picked. You know, I, I, I love, love that. So, so who is one of you? It says verse 9. Who is one of you? So that was said not as a reproach to Colossae of having some man among them, like Onesimus, but as a privilege for the church to have a man like Onesimus among them. He had been saved, his character, everything, he, a dramatic transformation. And he is one of you. It's not a derogatory, it's like a compliment. He is one of you. The Apostle Paul had ministered to him. He got saved, his life transformed, and Paul wanted them to give them a proper Welcome for the returning of this converted slave to treat him as a brother, as Paul argued to Philemon in verses 10 to 16 of Philemon says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So... Onesimus was also a messenger, also a helper of Paul, but he has a tremendous story of redemption through Christ. So we learn from the epistle of Philemon that Onesimus was, of course, a runaway slave converted by Paul and sent back. And now he was serving as a messenger for Paul. Just another great testimony of the power of the gospel to save lives to change lives, to use broken vessels of man's eyes to do great and mighty things for the Lord. Because of men like these, the men who were the messengers, the influence of the apostles was able to spread much farther than it was just them doing it themselves. And then also the influence of the gospel spread much farther than it was just the apostles spreading it themselves. So these messengers, these people that spread these epistles out, we owe a great deal of gratitude towards them. Just as much as we owe towards Paul for writing it. They got the word out. They spread the gospel. Are we messengers? Are we getting the word out? Are we spreading the gospel? Are we letting God use us to get his word out? So a next group of men, a couple of men we're going to look at, are the men who were comforters. The men who were comforters. You look at verses 10 and 11. Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner saluteth you, and Marcus, sister son to Barnabas, touching whom he received, commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So he says, These men are a comfort unto him. They are the comforters. Aristarchus. Aristarchus had been zealous, he's an affectionate companion, he's a friend of Paul, he ministered to him in prison, he called him a fellow prisoner, he'd been a fellow traveler of Paul, we see that in Acts chapter 20, we learn that he nearly lost his life to the riot in Ephesus in Acts 19, it says, and when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath, and cried out, saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus Mid of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. He almost lost his life in the riot. He was a fellow prisoner of Paul. He was a messenger. He was a comforter. And he also sailed with Paul to Rome. We see that in Acts 27. And was now in Rome with Paul, sending greetings. Aristarchus stayed with Paul no matter what the circumstances were. He was faithful. The riots in Ephesus, the voyage, a storm, even prison He stayed with Paul. He was loyal. Are we loyal and faithful to Christ no matter our circumstances, no matter our situations, no matter the storm that's in our life? Are we faithful? Are we loyal to Christ like Aristarchus was to just a man named Paul? Do we stay faithful to Christ like Aristarchus stayed faithful to Paul? We owe much greater to Christ than Aristarchus owed to Paul. Christ is our savior. This man owed Paul and looked at the dedication he had to him and the faithfulness he displayed to him. But think of how much more we owe Christ. We can learn much from his example, his dedication, his faithfulness to Paul. And use that to challenge our personal dedication and faithfulness to Christ and his word. Next one is Mark. Verse 10. Mark was also a comforter. Paul had a quarrel with him at some point in time in the past. Paul wanted nothing to do with him. Paul refused to work with him, and it caused great division among Paul and Barnabas over Paul's feelings about Mark, about what Mark had done, or actually more about what Mark hadn't done. Mark left them on their missionary journey. Yet we find here that Paul is not only reconciled to Mark, but he now respects him so much that he recommends him to other churches. This goes to show us that we may, for a time, have a great falling out with someone, we may kind of step back from ministry, maybe we just kind of just left, we quit for a while, but in those times, God can use us, God can restore us, God can bring us back up to that point, and then someone can praise us for what we're doing. That's just the, the restoration of Christ, the restoration of how you can take a life, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. All verse always keeps coming to mind, how he could just take that life and gives you that second chance. No matter what you've done, he gives you that chance. He wants you to have that chance to, to come to him again, to serve him again. This shows us the power of the cross, the power of God, the reconciliation, the power of what true forgiveness between Christians can do, the power of the bond of fellow Christians, and the power of Christ. Matthew Henry commented on this situation. He said, Paul and Mark, he said, If men have been guilty of a fault, it must not always be remembered against them. We must forget as well as forgive. So if someone's been guilty of a fault towards us, we can't keep holding that against them. We need to forgive them and do our best to forget it and move on and let the, let the restoration come and, and just work together for Christ again. Now Mark was a writer of the second gospel. He was a cousin or a nephew of Barnabas. And the church in Jerusalem met in his mother's house. Mark eventually proved profitable to Paul. Even though he let him down, Paul's like, I'm not doing anything, I'm not working with him, I'm not going with him, it caused great contention. But Paul eventually proved he was profitable to Paul for the service. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, only Luke is with me, take Mark and bring him with me, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. That relationship had been completely Restored. So even now, Mark is included with those who Paul says proved to be a comfort to me. John, Mark is an encouragement to everyone who has ever failed. Everyone has ever failed in their attempts to serve God. He did not sit around and sulk that we know of, but he got back into the ministry, proved himself to the Lord and to the Apostle Paul. He took that second chance and ran with it. So have we ever failed at something, failed at an attempt to serve the Lord or at a ministry endeavor, We need to think of Mark and just get right back to it. The Lord is waiting and wanting to bless us as we start serving Him and living for Him again as we should. Now our next comforter says, Jesus called justice. That's in verse 11. Now little is known of this man except that he was a Jew of the circumcision. A fellow worker for the kingdom, he too was a comfort to Paul. Jesus called justice represents all those faithful believers whose deeds are not announced for the world to know, who serve in the background, who serve in the background of ministries, mostly unseen. They never get the compliment, never get up on the stage. But he represents those that are faithful workers, the church, faithful workers in Christ. And they're called comforters. They're being recognized. So no man can produce what they are capable of producing unless they receive the right kind of encouragement. Justice, or Jesus called justice, was an encourager. He was a comforter. We need to look for those that need encouragement and be an encourager, be a comforter. Just as Barnabas, the son of encouragement, had been one to encourage a young man who made a mistake, our John Mark, Mark with two others were now comforting the Apostle Paul himself. We take that comfort we receive... Take it and move on and comfort others. So with such comfort, Paul was able to continue his work <coughs> while awaiting trial before Caesar. Now, let's notice the man who prayed. In verses 12 to 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that he may stand perfect and complete, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Epaphras, bear him record. The apostles' witness concerning him was that he extended his zeal to all about them. He was enthusiastic. His enthusiasm for the Lord was contagious. Could that be said about us? Does someone say that our enthusiasm for the Lord is contagious? Do people see the zeal for the Lord in our life, I think this is something we all, speaking personally myself, could do a better job of projecting that enthusiasm, projecting that zeal, projecting that excitement for the Lord. We all could be a little bit more like Epaphras with that enthusiasm, that contagious enthusiasm for the Lord. Now, Epaphras was a person who helped start the church at Colossae. We see that in chapter 1. He cared deeply for them, he cared deeply also for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So do we have that character trait of deep concern for our fellow Christians? Deep concern for those we go to church with. Deep concern for uh, the family of Christ. And we also see that he was also a fellow prisoner. Philemon 23 says, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. So what could he do? He's in prison. He's so far away. What could he do for fellow Christians while he's in prison? Well, The Bible tells us he did something tremendous for fellow Christians while he was in prison. He couldn't do anything really physically, but he could pray. That's the the greatest thing we could do. I just want people praying for me. Pray for me. You know, that's the greatest thing you could do for me. Pray for me. It says he was mighty in prayer, a mighty worker in prayer. A pastor prayed. He was a man Of prayer. He was a man of great enthusiasm. He cared for fellow Christians, but he was a man of prayer. In the short mention here about Epaphras, we can learn a lot about how we ought to pray for each other. Let's read those two verses again and and now think about how those verses instruct us how we ought to pray for each other. Verses 12 and 13 Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. Epaphras was a man of prayer. He says he prayed constantly, always. He was a good example of Paul's admonition continue in prayer. Epaphras did not pray only when he felt like it. As do many Christians today. You know, did he pray when he was told to pray? He says he always prayed. He prayed for other believers. He brought people up to the Lord in prayer always, constantly, seeking God's blessing. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Notice it says he prayed fervently, laboring fervently in prayer. The same word translated here as laboring fervently it is the same word used in Luke chapter 22, speaking of the Lord when He's praying in the garden. That's how intense. Uh, that's how intense this man prayed for each other. Prayed for us. So he fervently, agonizingly prayed for Epaphras. Praying was serious business. Now imagine if we, as church members today, put that kind of effort that Epaphras put into prayer, praying for his fellow Christians. If we prayed for each other that way, urgently, agonizingly prayed for each other, imagine the difference it would make. Imagine the difference. It's just, it's hard to think the difference it would make in our lives, in our church, and in the church's ministry. And he said also, he prayed he prayed personally. Paphras did not pray just a general prayer for the world or for all Christians. His, his prayer, he centered his intercession, his prayer in the saints of Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, No doubt he mentioned some of them by name. I'm sure he did. Prayer for Epaphras was not an impersonal religious exercise. He cared for these people in his heart. And he prayed personally and fervently for them. He also prayed with a goal in mind. Notice it says there that you may stand perfect and complete. If you'd ask Epaphras, what are you praying for? He could get very specific with you. He said, I'm praying for these people. I'm praying for this in their life. I'm praying for all this. He could tell you very specifically what he's praying for. His desire was that these believers would grow, would mature, stand perfect and complete in God's, in God's will for them, in, in their maturity in Christ. Do we pray specifically? Do we pray purposely? Do we pray agonizingly for each other? Paul used four significant words to summarize the prayer of Epaphras. These words are also summarize the book of Colossians very well. He used perfect, complete, all, in will. Epaphras had concern for these Christians, and he prayed that they would know and do the will of God. Ian Bounds said this about prayer. What, ch- what the church needs today is not more machinery, not new organizations, or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. The Holy Spirit does not come on machinery, but on men. The Holy Spirit does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. So now, we're going to quickly look at, for the next couple minutes, two men that are of men of contrast. Verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. What a contrast, those two. Luke, the beloved physician, faithful servant of God, wrote two books of the Bible, stayed faithful and true to the end. And Demas later forsook Paul. 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas serves as a sober reminder of the need to remain steadfast to the end. Steadfast to the end. So these men that we talked about were greatly humbled men and willing to serve on God's special team. They served as messengers. They served as comforters. They served as prayer warriors. And then we had that final contrast of someone who stayed faithful to the end and someone who abandoned the things of God for the things of the world. So the gospel today, we spread the gospel. We're all part of the body of Christ. We're all part of God's special team. We need to be We need to be comforters. We need to be prayer warriors. We need to be faithful to the end in what we do for the Lord. So whatever our calling, whether we're a comforter, Whether we're a messenger spreading that word, whether we're a prayer warrior, whatever our ability, let us remain faithful to the Lord and not forsake the Lord, faithful to the Lord. But if we do make that mistake like Mark, we serve the God of the second chance. Come back to him. Live for him again. Colossians 4.18 says, A salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Help us be comforters, help us be messengers. Help us be faithful to the end and help us be prayer warriors Lord. In the name we pray. Amen.